You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. So glad to see everybody here this morning. Feels like uh, we are returning to normal-ish with uh, people at church. So thankful for that. And uh, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And we've been doing this for a few weeks now. We're going to continue. If you have a question about anything in the sermon, we'll do a short Q&A at the end. And you can uh, direct message James Davenport, like it says there on Slack, uh, if you have a question about anything from the sermon. So be thinking about that. So we're continuing a series through Philippians. If you have a Bible, uh, digital or paper, let's break that out. And I want to review just real briefly where we were last week. James Davenport, um, morning, Ty, good to see you. <laughs> Ty's one of my favorite people, I had to acknowledge him. Um, you bet. So uh, last week, James Davenport preached a, a great sermon about persecution and unity and courage. And let's just see how it's connected to what we're going to look at today, okay? I want to show that to you first. So at verse 27 of chapter 1, he says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or or am absent, I may hear that you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. One spirit, one mind, side by side. What is he saying? He's saying united. Say, I want you guys, whether I come and see you or just hear about you, you, I want to hear that this Philippian church, that you're united. And then verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Not frightened when you suffer. Remember, Paul is writing this from prison. He's suffering. He's the church planter. And if it happened to him, it could happen to them, right? So he's saying, suffering is part of the gig, but the key question is, how are you going to hold on? And the answer is, through being united, being united. How do we not implode from the pressure of persecution or any other form of pressure that the church can feel? You you can imagine how, this is an important thing for us to think about, You can imagine how the pressure of persecution could divide a local church. That's what Paul's getting at here. Don't let the pressure of persecution divide you guys. Got to stay together. This is a newly formed church plant. The gospel has just exploded on the scene in the Roman Empire by the power of the Holy Spirit. Read the book of Acts. But it's fragile because it's brand new. Right? And he's saying, don't let persecution divide you. But let's think about this, how this actually happens. Now, crisis in Ukraine right now. Everybody knows about it. I did a little bit of reading this week, and what I didn't understand is there, there are people in Ukraine that are pro-Russia. Just like in the United States, we don't have all the same political convictions. And you can imagine the pressure of 
this isn't persecution per se, but the pressure of this conflict, this war. And you could be a pastor in Ukraine and you don't have, everybody in the, in the, in the congregation might not have the same political convictions about what is happening. Some are, are pro-Russia and they believe that Ukraine being a part of Russia would be actually better for Ukraine. Others are absolutely appalled by what is happening in the bombing. And that could all be in the same church. You can see how this external pressure could create deep divisions in a local church, right? Different perspectives lead to factions forming and stark divides and, and broken relationships. Now imagine a different scenario with me for a second. Let's say it's a campaign, it's just imaginary, but it'll help you feel this a little deeper of what Paul's trying to get at here. Imagine a campaign like Hitler's campaign in World War II to snuff out all the Jews. But instead, it's, it's Putin who wants to snuff out all the Christians in Ukraine and Russia. Now that would put intense pressure on the local churches in a different way. Why? Because in a scenario like that, and this actually happened during World War II, you have people that respond to that pressure in a different way. So some have the means by which they can escape, and they do. And they flee the country. Other people would be tempted, in light of that, to call them cowards. We can't back down because of our faith. Well, some church members choose to stay. And other people might look at them and, and call them foolish. Like, do you want your kids to be orphans? Like, different people have different reasons for why they do what they do, especially when the heat is on, right? And so you can imagine how persecution can put crazy pressure on the unity of a church. That's what Paul's getting at here. And our human nature obviously hasn't changed that much in 2,000 years. Paul knows that this, this fragile new church plant in Philippi, that his heart loves as he's sitting in prison, being persecuted, is putting pressure on their unity. The Roman Empire was really good at putting pressure on people, Right? And Paul knows there's a real threat to the, to the unity of this church. Or else he wouldn't have written this way, right? He's calling them to stay united because there's a threat to their unity. He, he isn't just like trying to come up with stuff to say, to fill, fill the papyrus, right? Papyrus, sorry. Um, so this isn't random, there's a real threat to the unity of this church then and, and also today. Remember, verse 28. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. The real threat here. So what I want to do this morning is, is let's look at how he attempts to motivate them through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit 
how he attempts to motivate them to stay together, to not give up, right? And it's the same exact stuff that we need today too, all right? So let's look at how he does this, the pressure of persecution, and how he motivates them to not allow that pressure of persecution destroy their unity. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Let's just stop right there. What what is he doing here? Now that's connected to another thought that you can see on the screen if you read ahead. But what is Paul doing here with kind of rattling off these things? Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection and, and sympathy. He's just simply reminding them of who they are as Christians. Right? This is who you are. You have been encouraged by Christ. Right? If you're in Christ, that's what it says. Look at it. Any encouragement in Christ. You are in Christ. That is encouraging. You're united to him by faith. What's true of him is true of you. That's the most encouraging news in the world. Any comfort from love. You, Philippian church, you've been comforted by the love of Jesus. He demonstrates in love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He laid down his life for our sins, raised from the dead for our justification. That's the love of God on display in history. That's comforted you. He's reminding them of that. And and he says, what does he say? Participation in the Spirit. You participated in the power of the Holy Spirit. Working in your life, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit. You've seen it, you've felt it. He's just reminding them of who they are and and what has happened to them. And, and, And any affection and sympathy You've seen how the truth of the gospel and what has happened to you has affected your relationships in affection and in sympathy for one another. He's just reminding them of who they are as Christians. This is who you are. This is what has happened to you. This is what your identity has produced. And he's just saying, let's get back to the basics. This is who you guys are. Don't forget. Don't forget. Like oftentimes when there's intense pressure, you can imagine if the guy who planted your church is now sitting in in prison, you would feel that pressure. Oftentimes when there's intense pressure, you can forget who you are and why you exist. You you can go into panic mode. You can be disoriented. Like I can relate to that as a pastor here for almost 12 years now. Like, if you would have told me before we moved here, like, the amount of things that have been amazing, like, having a building after seven years or so, and seeing people sent out in amazing ways, and churches being planted in Madison, I would have said, man, that's, that's amazing. Like, that sounds wild. Like, sign me up for that. But before we came, if you would also would have been able to tell me, man, here's the ways you're going to suffer. 
here's the sleepless nights that you're going to endure. Like, I, I might not have come, right? We walk through some really hard things. And in the midst of those hard things that I've walked through as a leader, it's easy in the disorientation of, of, of the suffering and, and, the, and the painful events to just want to give up. Like it's just not worth it. The pressure's too much. But it's right, right here where you have to find, like, find your lighthouse, find your point of ultimate orientation. You, you have to go back to the basics. And that's what Paul's asking them to do here. Like for me, it's like, okay, wait. Like why did we come here again? Oh, we came here again because Jesus really rose from the dead. And more people need to hear about that. And when they put their faith in him, their sins are really forgiven and they can stand justified before a holy God. And, and Jesus has promised to, to return and make all, thing, all things right. Like, these are the basics that we orient around that helps you kind of figure out where you are in the midst of the pressure. And that's what Paul's doing. He's saying, hold on, you guys, wait a second. You've been encouraged by Christ. You've been comforted by his love. You've seen the works of the Spirit in amazing ways. Like, hold on. Remember the, the basics. Remember these first things. Remember the foundation. Christ died for your sins. He's raised for your justification. It's all true. Don't give up. And he's saying, guys, remember, if that is true, and it is, then your lives have the power to look like something really powerful that's going to help you stay united. Something that's going to lead to deep unity that no one can sever. So let's keep reading. He's saying, if these things are true of you, and they are, then, then what? Let's start at verse 1 again. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then what? Complete my joy by being of the... Here it is again. Same mind, the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He says, complete my joy by staying united around the truth of the gospel. Same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. I mean, it's all these repetitive statements that get to the same thing. But let's ask ourselves for a second. Why does he say, beginning of verse 2, complete my joy? Complete my joy. Well, let's think about it for a second. Paul planted this church... You can read about his core team in Acts chapter 16, these people that got converted. And, and as a planter, he's really invested in these people. And I would imagine that the, the threat of division would have caused him some sleepless nights. Like he, he was a spiritual father to these people. Like if, if your kids are not doing well and you're a parent, that causes you as a parent to be, to be worrisome. Like for me, nothing is more beautiful than when my kids, I got four of them, when they love each other really well. And they do, for the most part, a great job at that. 
Like when I see them show affection to one another or serve one another or encourage one another. That makes the heart of, of their father really encouraged. But why? Because it's a sign that our family's united. We're staying together. And it's the same with pastoring. It's the same with Paul's heart here. The same for Paul or for us as elders. Like, if we have two members in this church that are not getting along, not seeing eye to eye, being ugly towards one another, like, that, that, that's hard for us. It's hard for us to see that happening. When there's disunity on display, that can cause some stress. Paul's saying, man, my joy is complete when you guys stay united. And, and for us as, as leaders of, of our church, This threat of disunity, this threat to our joy, just like for Paul, man, that's been very real in the last two years, as you can imagine. Like, we, we have felt the threat of division crouching at the door. I know this might be, might, might be news to you guys, um, but let me break it down for you. There's just been this thing recently called covid and people tend to have strong convictions about that. I don't know if that, if you're, you know. My sarcasm is not lost on you guys. Like, we've, we've felt that deeply as leaders, right? This has caused us as leaders to not have sometimes a lot of joy, but like some worry. Like, what's going to happen to our local church? This is going to divide us. Are people going to, going to separate into factions? It's been on our minds. But here's the deal, Vine, Vine family. Uh, let me compliment you as evidence of the Holy Spirit alive in you. Like, we haven't seen a ton of that division or ugliness or silliness on display among you. We're so thankful for that. And, and, and that's, that brings me joy. I love being a pastor of this church. When we don't have people dividing into factions and, and, and going back and forth in ways that are ugly on Slack. By the way, Slack isn't probably the best context for talking about, for talking about very emotional things. So, but that's what Paul's getting at here. Like, He's saying, complete my joy. Nothing makes me happier than seeing this church united and not divided. Same for your pastors here. Joy erupts out of my heart, Paul says, when, when you guys are standing together. Man, I, I felt like that um, on Sunday night at our family meeting. We had a beautiful family meeting on Sunday night. And some of you guys couldn't, couldn't participate here. Uh, you watched at home. But for those that were here, there's some beautiful testimonies. There's, there's a, a spirit of encouragement in the room as we are sharing testimonies and celebrate what God is doing and, and people are being honest and being encouraged. And man, I was, just, I was just really thankful to be a pastor of this church. 
after our family meeting on Sunday night, just based on the beauty that was in the room, of you, the beauty of unity, okay? But can you think of the contrast? And this happens in churches when you have a, a family meeting or uh, what's horribly called a business meeting. Like, we, we do not want to have business meetings at the Vine. Now, sometimes we have to do business things, but uh, no, we're not having business meetings. We're having family meetings. Now, can you imagine at the family meeting uh, if, if people stand up and they're yelling at each other? Like, that happens in churches. And they're not for one another, and they're isolated and alienated. That, that makes the heart of a leader really sad. And so that's why Paul says, look at verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And, and keep in mind, th- this, this same mind, same love, full accord, one mind, like there's content here. And it's the content he just rattled off in verse 1, right? It's not just random unity about anything. It's, it's unity in the gospel, in the encouragement and the love of Christ, okay? But then let's take it a step further, okay? And it's like Paul says, I'm going to tell you how this can actually be accomplished among you. Let me, just, let me just tell you how this happens. The, the, this unity is going to be accomplished through character qualities in you that flow from the Holy Spirit being alive in you. Like you have, because if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit alive in you, you have the power to do this and, and the power to repent when you fail. And here's what he says. So if we want to stay united, yeah, look, so let's, just, let's just track with a progression. This is who you are in Christ. I'm pleading with you to stay united. And here's how you're going to do it. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So look at, the, look at that again. Just, just think about these two verses real quick. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Humility, others more significant. I know my own interest, but it can't just be my own interest. It's the interest of others. What, what is he saying here? If we were to boil it down, if you were to summarize it. Ultimately, I think what he's saying is, is your life going to be all about you? Or all about others. When you think about your life, is it all about you? Or is it others? You know why we have all these epic tales like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter? The list goes on and on. Millions of books sold. Over and over again. Spoiler alert, it's because it's a story about somebody laying down their life. Or laying, or laying it all on the line 
and their life is probably in jeopardy, if not given. Like, why is it that that sells movie tickets? Why is it that that sells millions of books every year? See, our, even our non-Christian world can look to that story and see how beautiful it is, right? We buy the books, we watch the movies. Sacrificing yourself for others is still a best-selling story. Being completely self-absorbed, that's not a great movie, right? Doesn't sell a lot of books. Sacrificing yourself for others is still a best-selling story. Why? Why is that? Because it's a reflection of the story. It's a reflection of the nature of reality as God has designed it. The, the, the nature of reality is this, that you can't save yourself through effort. You have to allow someone else to save you through their sacrifice, through, through their efforts, to pay the debt you can never pay. You simply have to receive the benefits of what has been accomplished through sacrificial death, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Like, this is the nature of true reality. And people who don't even trust in Jesus as good and beautiful, they still can feel the beauty of that story. Like, we, we spend millions of dollars on it every year. Now, now, listen to this. What Paul is saying here is that if you want to stay united in the face of persecution, it's going to mean that through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, you're going to reflect this story, the story of reality, the story of the world, as well in the way you live, and then be quick to repent when you fail. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. As far as I know, the church in the U.S. has not experienced a ton of persecution in the same way as the Philippian church was experiencing it, right? Like, we don't have a lot of church planters being thrown in prison. It happens in the world today. It happens in China and other places. It's happened a lot throughout the course of Christian history. It just hasn't happened a lot in the U.S. It hasn't happened a lot in Madison, But we have endured pressure in the last couple of years. We've endured the pressure of a pandemic. And it might not be the pressure of persecution, but it can still create factions in terms of how we're supposed to respond to it. Just like the examples I gave at the beginning, whether it's factions created by wars or other things. And, and I, as I reflect on, especially these last two years, I just wonder if, if God's people can do better. Like, I know the stories, not here in Madison, but in other places through my friendships and relationships. I know the stories of pastors who've gotten fired 
because they weren't anti-mask enough or they weren't pro-mask enough. They weren't Trump enough or they didn't denounce Trump in the way that people wanted. Now, now please understand, I'm not saying, and we would never say that we can't have our own personal convictions about lots of different things. Secondary, tertiary matters. But I wonder what would happen to the unity of the Christian church in the United States if these verses that we're reading this morning, check this, were the filter over our mouths before we articulated those convictions. You with me? I think if we gave that a shot, there would be great joy for pastors like Paul asking for his joy to be completed through unity. I think that could happen for lots of pastors throughout the whole nation and the world. Like, let's just, let's just do a thought experiment, okay? Let's just do a little imaginative thought experiment with, with our Bible open and the content of this text this morning kind of leading the way, okay? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now imagine talking to somebody who has different opinions than you, let's say, like in reference to masks, how about in reference to the last election, okay? Contentious things. How about we just throw vaccines in there too, okay? Just for the fun of it. So these contentious topics that are dividing people, right? And you're sitting across the table from someone who has very different convictions than you. Everyone knows what their convictions are. Imagine somebody who has different convictions than you. And you have to discuss these things. Masks, vaccines, Trump, whatever. What if these verses are the filter over our mouths? Especially verse 3 and 4. And again, you have to articulate your convictions. That's part of the the thought experiment here. You're sitting across from somebody and you're going to talk about it. But if if verses 3 and 4 are on my mind, based on who I am in Christ, see verse 1, do you think that could have the possibility of bringing unity and not divide? I think so. I think so. How can that change the conversation? Like, if I'm, not, if I'm doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, what's that going to do? Well, it's probably going to change my tone of voice. The selfishness also is like, it's all about me, it's all about my perspective, so I'm not going to listen. Why would I listen? Because I have all the answers. Like, everyone just needs to listen to me because I have the answers, right? No, that's, only the Lord has all the answers. That doesn't mean that my convictions aren't true, but it doesn't mean that I'm omniscient. 
right? In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's probably, again, going to lead to some listening. It's probably going to listen, it's probably going to lead to me not assuming the worst about somebody, right? Maybe being able to give the benefit of the doubt. What's the spirit of that conversation going to be like if both people are doing that? Again, it's not that we can't have our convictions. But most likely what divides us is how we go about articulating those convictions. If these verses are the filter over our mouths, how do you think that could change the conversation? Do you think it could? Well, Paul does, because that's why he wrote it, right? We're not the only ones that have faced pressure to our unity. That's why he wrote this to this ancient church facing potential division and destruction. They, don't have the same, they didn't have the same issues as we have, right? But our hearts are the same. Our, our ability to divide over over things that don't matter are, are the same or that matter in a secondary or tertiary sense. Like if we're going to divide, guys, let's divide over the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Let's, abi- let's, let's divide over like are your sins really forgiven when you come to, to faith in Christ? Did Jesus actually promise to return and make all things right? Like, this is primary Christian truth. I don't see a lot of Christians dividing over that. That's a good thing. But we're dividing over these secondary, tertiary things. That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And and this text leads the way to help us avoid that. See, when there's humility from top to bottom, like it says in verse 3 and 4, and when they're serving one another from top to bottom, like it says in verse 4, I'm looking to your interests, not just mine. I'm looking to your interests. What are your interests? Oh, man, how can I look to those? How can I look to what you need? How can I serve what you need? Like, when that happens, unity's easy. It's just the byproduct, right? And Satan loves to divide Jesus loves to unite because united, we witness to an onlooking world that Jesus is great and worthy to be trusted. He's changed our lives. Come and see what he's done. Come and see the beauty of a a community where Jesus rules and reigns, where we don't talk to one another like the world does, where we're for one another, where we serve one another, we listen to one another, we remind one another who we are in Christ. Right? But why would they, why would an onlooking world want to come and see if we just hate each other and we're divided into little cliques about secondary and tertiary matters? Like they won't. But Paul is saying here if you know who you are in Christ, verse 1. It's going to lead to unity. Stay united. 
And if you really believe me, here's how you should act. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. It's humility all the way down. May it be so among us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that guides us. Would you help us? Would you help us? May you um, show us in increasing measure um, the beauty of a church that is united. Father, thank you for the truths of your word and the truths of history in the cross and the empty tomb that can be the power of unity, Lord. And may, may, we, may we meditate on that, Lord. May you help us keep our minds fixated there and may that govern how we talk and how we act. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.